following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. If you have your copy of the Scriptures, join me if you would in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll return next week uh, to Revelation, but Philippians chapter 4, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of thanksgiving. The holidays are upon us, and there's a lot of excitement with that, a lot of hustle and bustle, and as much as there are great memories and things to be excited about, for some, the holidays bring anxious feelings. How am I going to be able to afford Christmas dinner? Will I be able to get presents? And some are wondering, will I be spending the most wonderful time of the year by myself this year? And this causes anxious feelings. And others, perhaps they're worried about who is going to show up for the holidays. Will Uncle so-and-so show up and, and well, ruin the holidays like they did the last time? And will I be able to keep my mouth shut? And I don't want to make it worse when they start talking. And, and there's a lot of reasons that a person could be anxious, whether it's the holiday season or any time of the year. So wouldn't it be nice if God told us how we might be able to handle this more effectively? Wouldn't it be nice if God told us how we can overcome anxiety created by difficulties in life? What we're going to see in Philippians chapter 4 is that focusing on the Lord's goodness, leading us to give Him thanks, gives us power to overcome Anxiety. We see this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's Word. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today and this opportunity to gather together in worship, together together around the Word. I pray, Father, that this morning, if there are any today who are struggling with what we might call anxiety, that the Word of God would encourage them, give them a course of action to take, that they too might be encouraged, that we might know the peace that passes all understanding. I pray for, my, for me this morning that as I preach, You guard my heart and mind. Help me to have clear thoughts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whenever you read a passage of Scripture, it's important to consider it in context. And so briefly, I want to share with you the context that was going on around them in, in, the, in the historical setting and also just the book of Philippians. First off, 
There was persecution. Paul himself, when he had been in Philippi, had been persecuted, beaten up because he had preached the Gospel. And yet a church was born there. And eventually, while Paul ministered there for a time, he, he made his way out of the city under his own power and he was able to leave. But now he is in prison. Not because he was a bad guy. He didn't you know, knock over a liquor store. Nothing like that. He was preaching the Gospel. And now he's in prison for it. And so these Christians are thinking, man, what, we're following this Jesus, this new religion, and He's this Almighty God. He overcomes sin, death, the grave, and all of these things. He does miracles. And now His followers keep getting thrown in the slammer. What's going on? And then back in Philippi, it appears that while the, since Paul had left, and they, the people in Philippi who didn't like Jesus said, well, Paul's gone, but we can go after the people that were convinced by Paul, and that's the next best thing. We can beat up on those guys. We can harass them. We can pick on their kids for their faith in Jesus. And so there's persecution. The second thing is then in church, in the Philippian church, there was internal tension. There were two, two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, and whatever what was going on with them, we don't know for sure, but they weren't getting along, and it had become well known. And when that happens in a church, it leads to uh, division. It leads to uh, it, it, what causes anxious feelings. What's church going to be like when we gather together? Are there going to be another argument? Is it going to are the elders and deacons going to have to get involved and pull these two ladies apart? What's what's going to happen? Am I going to have to be, pick a side, or can I stay out of it? You know the, those types of things in church. Then there was problems within and persecution on the outside, and these things appear to be causing anxiety for the Christian. It's not hard to imagine. Those were the circumstances that gave rise then to this particular passage. But these verses apply advice that goes far beyond simply those two things, persecution and problems within the church. It applies to much wider circumstances, including health scares, the economic forecasts, Perhaps this year as you're, you're thinking about the upcoming, you, you got your power bill and you can see that if it's going to be a cold and snowy winter like we, it looks like it might be this year, am I going to be able to pay for food and keep the house warm? Am I going to be able to pay for the prescriptions with this rising cost of everything? Am I going to be able to afford to drive to see my relatives at Christmas because everything is so expensive. And if you're a kid, maybe you're wondering, are mom and dad going to get into a fight over money? These things cause anxiety in our hearts and minds. And the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us wisdom and counsel for how to function. And before I jump into it and we pull this thing apart and look at it, two or three things I want you to know. Number one, God is not looking at the problems that cause us anxiety and saying those aren't real problems. That's not what He's doing. He's assuming these are real problems. Second thing is, what He's not doing is picking on us for being emotion, having emotional responses to them. But what He is doing is saying, look, there are some circumstances that are beyond your control. And here is the most productive way to handle them. First thing we see in verse 4 is rejoice at all times. Rejoice in the Lord at all times. Look at what it says. Rejoice in the Lord, Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. One of the things that we see in the New Testament is that these feelings of thanksgiving boil up, bubble up, and re result in uh, 
rejoicing. Rejoicing is ultimately an expression, an outward expression of the thankfulness that you feel inside. And so be rejoicing in the Lord. You may have a problem. You may have real problems. I may have real problems. There may be a fear about what's coming down the pike next week, next month, next year. But you can rejoice in the Lord. This isn't making light of problems. What it is doing is pointing towards something that's good that cannot be taken from you. Christian, these Philippians were enduring, un, enduring unfair treatment because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been treated unfairly, and it's not hard to imagine. And, and, but still, in spite of that, you may be being treated unfairly by a coworker, a classmate, a friend, and that may all be true, but when we look at the Lord and rejoice in Him, here's one of the things you can rejoice in. The Lord graciously saved us even though we deserved judgment. Mercy and grace is kind of like God giving us something that we don't deserve. It's giving us something good that we don't deserve. Sometimes people around us are unfair. But God doesn't deal with us on the basis of fairness. If He did, no one could go to heaven. And so when he says rejoice in the Lord always, he's not making light of problems. He's saying, look, that may be true. The doctor may be 100% right in his report to you. The economic forecast may be as bad as you think it's going to be. But rejoice in the Lord anyway. Maybe you've got a coworker or a boss. They've just got it in for you. I've had one of those or two of those in my life. Maybe more. But at least two that I knew of. And I'm sure you have too. Sometimes they treat us unfairly. In the midst of this, you could fight back. You could try to fight fire with fire. Uh, that doesn't always work out well. You might get fired anyway, even though it's not your fault. In football, they have this thing that everybody knows that the guy who starts the shoving match and then acts like nothing happened and then the guy hits him back, that's the guy getting the penalty flag. That could happen at work. That could happen at school. So in the middle of all this, here's the challenge. How, how do we make sure we don't respond in kind? How do we make sure we don't respond in a way that makes our problems worse? Well, when the problems start coming, you say, you know what, this isn't right, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord anyway because He has, been un he has given me undeserved favor. And when we do that, we'll be able to stay thankful even when problems come. Focusing on the Lord's grace is powerful medicine for our soul. We can focus on it even when others treat us unfairly. And no matter how others act, we must focus on the goodness of God so we can be gentle in our response. Look at verse 5. Be known for your gentle and reasonable character. Let your reasonableness, that Greek word is epike, so it's reasonable or gentle. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone, don't be known as the guy who's always got to argue about everything, tit for tat, always got to get justice and everything that's been said wrong. Don't be known for that. Be known for the being gentle. Why? Here's the motivation. The Lord is at hand. He's talking there about the return of Christ. We're in the book of Revelation and we're talking about the return of Christ and the events that surround it. Well, guess what? When the Lord Jesus returns, He will make all things right. This is, Paul is anticipating this kind of talk from the beginning of the letter to the Philippians. That's why he says things like, I know that in all things, the bottom line, the end of it all, I will be vindicated. 
You may be being mistreated at work because of your faith in Jesus Christ. The college professor may be hammering on your, on your face that you hold dear. I went through that. But in the brass tacks, the bottom line, you will be vindicated when Christ returns. And so in the meantime, since Jesus is going to return and you don't want to be acting like the sinful people that are going to be judged, be gentle. Be the type of person that others would say, uh, he's somebody you can reason with. You can talk to this guy. And he doesn't always fly off the handle and, and turn everything into a fight. Don't be... Well, I remember hearing about a person that when they got upset, it was said, you can't talk to them. I've known him since high school. They're a grandma now, and you just can't talk to them. Let's not be that type of guy. Let's not be that type of girl. When the Lord returns, He will make all things right. Trust in that. You may have a relative show up at Christmas time. Always arguing with you. Puts down your Christian faith. Argues with you about politics. And I'm kind of the guy that would, wouldn't mind arguing about that from time to time. But at Christmas, it's not usually a good idea. And so sometimes we need to, maybe in the middle of it, you're like, oh, here he goes in. I was wondering how long until they'd start in on my faith in Jesus Christ. And you can, you can pray, Lord, give me the strength. Because I don't want to, I don't want to talk the way he's talking. I don't want to ruin Christmas. I don't want to contribute. Let's let them get it off of their chest and then we're going to uh, sing Christmas carols and move on as though it never happened. But Lord, give me the strength. Give me the ability to be gentle, to be reasonable so that the light of Christ shines brightly through me in the midst of this. When you have this going on, don't be that guy. Don't be the unreasonable one. Be gentle. Be reasonable. Be gentle even though others might be unreasonable. Be gentle even if others are treating you unfairly. And as these things move forward, when you have anxious feelings in your heart and your mind, verse 6 and 7 tells us, bring your anxiety-causing concerns to the Lord in prayer. Bring those anxiety-causing concerns to the Lord. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiousness is the opposite of peace. Be, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Supplication is urgent prayers. Once when you know you're about to have a meeting with the boss and there's uh, handling some problem, you can have an urgent prayer request go up. You may not be able to text your, your Sunday school class asking them to join you in prayer, but you can pray urgently and you can include thanksgiving in, in your prayers. Lord, this job is causing me a bunch of frustration and stress, but Lord, I'm thankful at least it helps me keep the roof over my head. But I'm about to go into a meeting and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. People have been talking and it's not always accurate and it's not always fair. This is a much better response than going in there with guns blazing. Let's continue. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's probably better than taking it to Facebook. Amen. Thanks, John. And the results then come. Verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think police escort. Guarding your hearts. 
guarding your mind. When you think of your heart, what the Bible is talking about is not the organ that pumps blood. It's talking about the, the control center of the human life. And when our, when our control center, the heart is a little off, we tend to respond in ways that are not helpful. When our minds are bogged down with anxious thoughts, we tend to respond in ways that are not productive. In fact, listen, there's enough problems going on in the world around us today and enough problems that are facing you tomorrow when you go back to the office. But, you know, when we respond unhelpfully, it's unhelpful. It makes problems worse. Yes, I I have a doctor, and that was the best I could come up with. But I think you get the point. When you and your spouse aren't getting along, there's a couple ways you can respond. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes there are unhelpful ways. So we respond, we have a concern. We don't like the way our parents are treating each other. Well, that's legit. Kids feel that. And the fact of the matter is, kids, you don't have a lot of power in that situation. But you can go to the Lord in prayer when you see it. That's far more productive. It's far more productive. It, it helps deal with anxiety. The anxiety, and the result is the peace of God, which is the opposite of anxiety. Let's define that word. You're going to know this. You're going to say, that sounds right. Anxiety. Fear, unease, or worry, particularly about an imminent event or an uncertain outcome. That sounds like anxiety. Fear, unease, or worry, particularly about an imminent event or an uncertain outcome. The last three years or so, that's kind of where we've lived. United States of anxiety, right? That's where we've been. We had COVID, that caused us anxiety. Then we had a vaccine, which caused some of us anxiety. And then we had an election, and well, that guy's going to destroy democracy as we know it. That's That's anxiety. The 24-hour news cycle, I don't care if you're talking about CNN or Fox News or whoever you watch, it seems like maybe they... Maybe some people are getting rich off of anxiety in America. Because there is a never-ending stream of reasons to be anxious. We've got a medicine for that. And you better just make sure you tune in tomorrow to make sure those guys that you don't vote for, you got to know what they're thinking. Because we know. And we're going to tell you so you can be anxious. So you tune in the next day. You're saying, preacher, you shouldn't watch the news. No, that's not what I'm saying. I do too. But the reality is sometimes we just need to unplug from it because it isn't making your life better. Even if Sean Hannity or whoever's on CNN, haven't watched them in a while, even if they're 100% right about what's going to happen next week, you know what being worried about is going to do for you? Nothing. It's still going to happen. Being anxious about it is... Here's the point. Being anxious about the problems that could be real, could not be real, worrying ahead of time, it's not going to change any of that. Old, one really wise woman, the secretary, the secretary at Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church, she said, don't borrow tomorrow's problems. Sounds like something Jesus said. But we do that all the time. Listen, I, but worrying about tomorrow, what so-and-so in Washington might do, or whatever the capital here is in Illinois, I forget. Springfield, thanks. My kid's in school still. Worrying about it? I've got no power over J.B. Pritzker and neither do you. I've got no power over President Biden and I didn't have any power over President Trump. Wished I could have got him to get off of Twitter. 
We've got, yeah, I'm, hey, criticism cuts both ways on these guys, all right? Ain't none of them perfect. There's a reason one of those guys didn't win the second term. What if they don't count the votes? Right, well, that could happen. But being anxious about it ahead of time isn't going to change that, is it? What if the doctor's right and the report is as bad as you fear it is? I hope it's not right. But worrying about it, constantly obsessing about it, listen, you do the best you can, take it to the Lord in prayer, but obsessing about it every day isn't going to help you. And you say, well, that's, I hope you catch my heart here. I'm not beating up on you for being anxious. I've been anxious over lesser things. I don't know about you, but it never helped anything. In fact, when I'm anxious, I responded worse in other situations that were completely unrelated to it. You ever snap at your spouse for no real reason? Because you were anxious about something at the office that she didn't have a clue about? You ever snap at your parents because the kids at school were being rude? Listen, when we have things in our lives that cause us to be anxious and fearful, those things are real. But because God is good, you and I can and should take them to Him in prayer. And because He is good, we can trust Him to do what is best. Trusting God eases anxiety about the future. I don't know how He's going to answer. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's yes, but not yet. I don't know. And neither do you, but you take it to Him in prayer and you leave it to the Lord. I saw this in action over the summer. And I asked... I saw this with Larry Schoner, and I asked him if I could share this story, and he said, well, make sure that you tell them that this was definitely not me, this was God. And I said, exactly, that's why it's the perfect story. Back in July, when he started to have, he, there was some problems going on in his chest, and he was uncomfortable, and he said, we better get this checked out. In a very short period of time, they found out, yeah, there's a problem here. And it's, we don't know exactly how bad it is. So when I went and saw him in July, I saw him in the hospital. He's in this room. He's by himself because uh, he was sort of waiting to go into testing. And apparently he was waiting for a while. They might have forgot about him. I don't know. But he's got, well, I've got this problem. And there's this mass wrapped around certain parts of my of the inside of my body. And it's not supposed to be doing that. And, well, worst case scenario is that it's fused with another with other parts of my body. And we just don't know. I don't know what treatment they're going to do. They don't know what's wrong. And I, I have this vacation I'm supposed to go on, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to cancel that. What do I do? But he wasn't operating that way. In fact, when I walked into the room, what I saw was a guy, while he laid out all of what was going on, he was completely peaceful and calm. And all he said was, you know, when you, can you go check on Jill? Because I haven't been able to see her in a bit. I think she's really nervous. That's the peace of God which passes all understanding. And he said that was God because, quote, I have lost sleep over lesser things than this. So yeah, Larry, if you're watching, I'm pretty sure you are. Uh, that is a perfect story. That is the Bible coming to life. Real problem. Normally would cause anxiety, but he prays and he's a complete calm. It was stunning to observe. His other concern was I want to make sure that no matter what happens, I operate in a way that gives glory to God. I think he did that. I think he's doing that. 
See, being anxious and fearful, it may be the normal human response, but it isn't productive for us. And as Christians who have, who know Jesus Christ and who are right with Him and we've got this relationship with God and we can come to Him with our concerns, it may not, listen, your problem may not go away, but like Larry, his problem didn't go away that afternoon, but the anxiety did. And that enabled him to enjoy the moments with Jill. Enjoy the moments with his kids and enjoy with the moments with his friends and family. And thankfully, it's turning in a good direction and we're grateful for that. But in January, or July rather, he didn't know that. Didn't know how this was going to go. Remember then the things that you thank God for and focus on them. So pray, rejoice, and then in verse 8, remember the things that you thank God for and focus on them. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That list he just gave us in verse 8, that is basically a list of things that you might naturally be thankful for. Truth, beauty, lovely things, commendable things, excellent things. And so what he's saying is focus on the things that you naturally thank God for and focus on them. During difficulties, it is easy to lose sight of our blessings. But noticing and focusing on the blessings we do have leads to thanksgiving. And that's what he is counseling us. Listen, we may have real problems. There may be problems in River City, trouble in River City. It may all be true. But we can still stop and look at what we're thankful for. We can, we can notice the blessings around us. Notice the, the, if you're in the hospital, quality of care that you get that you can't get all over the world. Over, over, the, over Thanksgiving, we went around, and I didn't tell my kids this, but we, we went and checked out some Christmas lights, and there was a house that, it was like the Griswolds, you know, maybe a little greater than the Griswolds. And they, it was a walk-through display. And I kind of had this moment where I was separated from the family and I was remembering Aunt Char, Aunt Hulda, Aunt Kitty, Grandma, Grandpa, people that are gone. It choked me up a little bit. But then I thank God for them. Because although they're gone, their memories are not. And that was a blessing. They were a blessing in my life. I bet you've got lots of people like that in your life. People who have come and gone, but they blessed you. Give thanks for their memory. Thanksgiving, you see, is a powerful antidote for anxiety. And so the counsel here in verse 8 is focused on those things that you naturally would thank God for. Paul then is telling us counsel to follow, but then in verse 9, He says, look, I'm going to give you the example to follow. If you want to experience the peace of God, follow my example. Verse 9, following Paul's example during difficult days produces peace. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's example was to focus on the reasons that he had to rejoice over and the reasons he had to thank God for. He actually starts this in the beginning of the letter. From chapter 1, this is kind of how it goes. In chapter 1, verse 3, he thanks God 
for his friends at the church in Philippi. You can thank God for your church family. He then in chapter 1, verse 18, he thanks God for the advance of the gospel. Now this is kind of nuts how this goes down. Two things are going on. Number one, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And he's chained to these, these prison guards called the Praetorian Guard. And because they're this high-level guard that you don't just get to go hang out with, he's like, you won't believe it. I'm chained to a captive audience. I, this is so cool. They're, they're hearing the gospel. They're a captive audience. And so I thank God that the gospel is going forth. And then there's this other side of the thing, is that there were people in the church who, well, Paul was pretty prominent. And they said, Paul's in prison now, so we can, we can advance. We can become more important. We can, we're going to preach Christ just like he did, so we can get our own following. And Paul's basic response was, eh, good enough. I wanted to preach Christ. I can't do it right now. And now they're motivated by selfish needs. Well, Hey, Christ has preached in that. I'm going to rejoice. And by the way, even though I'm in prison and it's discouraging to the brothers and sisters, some have become more bold to preach Christ. So I'm thanking God that the gospel is going to advance. And then when he's talking about the very real possibility that he's going to be beheaded, you know what he says? This is almost like detached, but he's not detached. He says, uh, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go see Christ, and that's better. But if I get released, that's going to be good for you. So I think that while I would rather go to heaven, this is my paraphrase, while I would rather go to heaven and see Jesus, I think that it's better for you that I stay. So that probably means I'm going to stay. I guess I'm going to keep my head for a little while longer. So he's praising God that the gospel is advancing in spite of his hardship. In fact, he is using Paul's hardship to advance the gospel. Does this work in real life? About six years ago, my sister almost, we almost lost my sister. She almost died three times in a matter of like a day. And she goes to the hospital. Family's coming in to see her. I went to see her. Pastor's going to see her. Members of the church, family, everything out of the woodwork, praying with her, loving her. And on the other side of this room, they, there was a room that was like two people in the same room separated by a, a curtain. You've seen those. Well, there's this, there's this African American lady who, she, I don't think anybody came to see her. And so she, after the people left, she goes, you sure have a great support system. And my brother-in-law says, hey, do you want us to pray for you? She said, I sure would. And they pray with her. He shares the Gospel with her. She gets saved. And there's my sister. Not sure how this is going to turn out. She's got, well, Ella's like 17 now. She's probably 11 then. Doesn't know if she's going to be able to raise her kids to adulthood. And she's saying, this is so cool. Why? Peace of God which passes all understanding filled her heart and mind. Why? Because she was focusing on how God was using her hardship to advance the Gospel. So Paul is doing the same thing. He's, this is the example. Hey, I'm focusing on the, on the way God is using this hardship to advance the Gospel. He then thanks God in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 because God had used him and worked through him to be a blessing to others. And then in verse 19, he is praising God because of the blessings that other people are enjoying. Listen, you may... This is going to... I occasionally would tease my kids with this. They would just mess with them a little bit. Just, but it's true. I would say, hey kids, enjoy the fact that I'm enjoying this ice cream. And I kind of mess with them. But the truth is, when you are like Paul and you could say, you know what, life's not going real well, but I can thank God that the Philippians are enjoying some freedom in Christ. 
that is a good example for us to follow. I thank God that my friends have turned out okay. I thank God that that their family is doing okay, even if mine's not. This is an example for us to follow. Every person, Christian or not, you're going to have hardship that comes in your life and it's going to cause anxiety. And what the Bible does is gives us real solution. It does, maybe it won't fix the problem for you. I can't promise you that. I'm not. Tim Tebow used to say, uh, I don't know the future, but I know the one who holds the future. And if you're a Christian, you do too. And so you've got an option when the hardship comes, when the report is bad, when the economic forecast looks bad and you're not sure if you're going to be able to afford to eat. You can wring your hands and yell and all the things we do that seem really natural. Or you could try the supernatural route. Rejoice in the Lord. Pursue a lifestyle that shows that you're a reasonable Christian. Bring your anxiety causing fears to the Lord in prayer. Remember the things that you thank God for. And find other people that, whose example you can follow of how to handle anxiety and fearful things. And what we see here in Paul and his advice and his example is thanking God for His work is a powerful antidote for anxiety. It's powerful medicine. Giving thanks brings peace rather than anxiety and empowers us to respond effectively to the challenge we face every day. We've faced challenges every day. I've mentioned a bunch of them. There's probably some I haven't mentioned. In case you haven't noticed, uh, there's some things going on in the world, in Ukraine and Israel. In America, well, for better or worse, we have a tendency to put our nose in other people's business. And I've got nephews and nieces, one of which is, has been honorably discharged, but he's still technically some form of reservist. I don't know what's going to happen. The Middle East has a tendency to light up like a tinderbox. Will my nephew be called into active duty? Maybe you've got a niece, nephew, son or daughter like that. Those things cause us anxiety. You're like, I didn't think of that until you brought it up. Thanks a lot, Pastor. When we see these things on TV, when we see these things break out in front of our face, when we get a text message, whatever, Wherever the bad news comes from, you got to you have an op option: be bogged down with anxiety, pursue the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And the avenue to experience that peace appears to be rejoicing in the Lord and being filled with thanksgiving. And that, beloved, is the power of thanksgiving. As Alex and the praise team come, I suspect that today there's people here this morning. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, anxious about something. Or something is happening in your life that could naturally cause you to be anxious. You can sing and praise God and focus on Him. But I'll be up front. I'm going to ask Steve Benson and, and Mickey to come up front. If you want to pray with somebody, we'd love to pray with you. We get the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You can know what that's like. Perhaps you have yet to come to Jesus for salvation. Now is the time to do that. If you'd like to call on Jesus, the Gospel is rather simple. When we come to the place that we know that we've sinned and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, 
we can turn from those sins, turn to Him in faith, call on Him. He will hear us and He will save us. And you too can know what it is like to rejoice in the Lord. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.